It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. All right. I was going to start out with finely tuned, sophisticated analysis of Iowa and New Hampshire. I wasn't going to go lowbrow, but I'm throwing in the towel. You may have seen this. It's a very short video, but Dick Morris, the one-time Bill Clinton consultant who left that campaign after uh, an unfortunate incident involving his personal life, very smart strategist. And now more of a conservative was doing an interview on Newsmax, apparently from his living room, and completely without explanation, door opens behind him, and a kind of a heavy set guy walks in in his underwear. He's wearing a white undershirt and some kind of underpants. Walks into the frame, doesn't react to the fact that Morris is on television, and then walks out of the frame. And it's just sort of funny, weird, bizarre. And I thought by today that, you know, Morris would put out some kind of statement, oh, that was my Uncle Ernie who's staying with me, and he didn't realize... But we don't know who this guy is. And neither Morris nor the interviewer from Newsmax mentioned it. It just, as if it didn't happen. Like, oh, uh, I see you have a visitor. You know, nothing. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's gotten so viral that I thought I'd mention it. All right, let's, without further ado, because I got about 75 things to mention in this first segment. Story number one, Damon Linker columnist for The Week, looking ahead to next Monday's New Hampshire primary, says, even if Nikki Haley does well in New Hampshire, it won't matter. That's because Haley is starkly out of step with the evolution of her party, now the Trump party, obviously, over the past decade. And let me just mention here, there's one of these, you know, drudge shock poll headlines Another poll from ARG that actually has Nikki Haley tied with the former president in New Hampshire. But at the same time, there's another poll showing Trump up by 16. So I don't know why, especially in a primary, even though there's no way of knowing for sure how many Democrats and independents will cross over, uh, according to New Hampshire tradition. And there's no Democratic primary because President Biden says it's, it's not a thing. South Carolina is first on the Democratic calendar. So it's hard to know which numbers to buy. But this is the argument. The shape of today's Republican electorate can be seen in national polling, even in the unlikely event, says Linker in this New York Times op-ed. All the voters who have told pollsters in recent weeks they support DeSantis, Christie, and Asa Hutchinson switched over to Haley, She would reach only the high 20s, placing her more than 30 points behind Trump. And he'll also get the voters who were supporting Vivek Ramaswamy, who endorsed Trump 
to nobody's surprise, uh, last night. Sure, Haley might peel off some of those Trump voters if she manages to puncture his air of inevitability by knocking him sideways in New Hampshire. But imagining she could wrest the nomination from him ignores the fact that if he were to suffer a humiliating setback in New Hampshire, Trump would be guaranteed to attack her with a viciousness he is so far reserved primarily for DeSantis. Haley attracts voters who are less religious, more educated, and wealthier than the average Republican, which just so happens to describe New Hampshire Republicans. Few states are a better match for Nikki Haley's campaign. Uh, She will even find her home state of South Carolina less hospitable. And so the Trump takeover of the party in this view made possible by a really powerful appeal, says Damon Lincoln, to voters who haven't graduated from college. But more fundamental is um, to Trump's strength is his populist anger at them. Them in quotation marks. Progressive-leaning elites who graduate from the country's most selective universities control the heights of culture, run America's leading public institutions and media outlets, and sneer at him and his supporters, calling them racist, xenophobes, misogynists, and fascists. Now, I got to also report on the backlash to the Trump victory, by which I mean, and it didn't take long, and some of it started yesterday morning. You know, even media outlets that can't stand Donald Trump were just... um, acknowledging, conceding the enormity of his appeal, 51% of the vote in the Iowa caucuses, even though there was a record low turnout because of the horrible weather. But by yesterday morning, some of Trump's most uh, arduous critics were saying, that wasn't a great showing at all. Because 49% of Iowa Republicans voted against him. And he's a semi-incumbent, he's a former president. Well, but he's running against several candidates. If it had been Trump versus one opponent, and it was 51-49, you'd have an argument. But Chris Christie has dropped out. Vivek has now dropped out. And It's Haley and DeSantis, who, by the way, were separated by just about 2,000 votes with DeSantis finishing second. Here's a New York Times news story looking at the uh, equation from the Democratic side. No one in President Biden's White House would ever root for Donald Trump. To a person, they consider him an existential threat to the nation, writes Peter Baker. But as they watched Trump open the contest for the Republican nomination with a romp through Iowa, they also saw something else, a pathway to a second term. Biden's best chance of winning re-election in the fall, in their view, is a rematch against Trump. That's also kind of a consensus view. It's my view that any younger Republican 
would probably clobber the president, if only because he'll be just shy of 82 on Election Day. And, you know, clearly the polls show that most Democrats, many of them will come home, obviously, in a Trump-Biden contest, but they don't really want Biden to run for a second term. Um, Speaking of White House aides, none of them would cry if Trump was taken down by someone like Nikki Haley, whatever Haley's flaws, and the Democrats see many, they do not believe she would pose the same danger to democracy as Trump does. But if she won the Republican nomination, she might pose a bigger danger to Biden. This is a reminiscent of uh, 2016, when many Democrats were not unhappy when Trump won the nomination on the theory that the country would never elect a bumptious reality television star who specialized in racist appeals and insult politics. Burned once, they're not so certain this time. But Dems are banking on the theory that the country would never take back a defeated president who inspired a violent mob to help him keep power and has been charged with more felonies than Al Capone. CBS survey that was out uh, just this past Sunday shows Haley a stronger challenger to Biden. She uh, leads him in a hypothetical matchup. By eight points, DeSantis has a three-point lead and Trump a two-point lead. Now, there's a margin of error, so you could even say some of this is a statistical tie. In private, however, some Democrats agree that Haley would be harder to defeat, yet express less fear about her winning than Trump, who's talked about using his office to exact retribution against his enemies. Uh, Let's talk about the ratings. So there was a lot of competition on Monday night. Over 28 million people tuned in to watch the Tampa Bay Bucks beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Viewership of the Iowa caucuses total across Fox, MSNBC, and CNN, 4.6 million. So we've concluded that politics is nowhere as popular as the NFL playoffs. Now, I have to report as a matter of fact that Fox News just absolutely annihilated the competition, but I'll get to why in a second. From 8 to 11 Eastern, 2.8 million viewers watched the coverage on Fox. That was more than quadruple The number for CNN, total viewers 688,000, and more than double MSNBC, 1.1 million. Now, obviously, you know, you can go into defending Fox's coverage, which had opinion shows on for the first two hours. Jesse and Hannity, and then Brett Baer and Martha McCallum came on with their special coverage. But basically, since everybody and his grandmother was predicting a Trump blowout win, 
I think the primary audience for CNN and the primary audience for MSNBC was not dying to watch this. That's why the numbers were down. And also just because when one candidate has a 30 to 40 point lead, there's not exactly a lot of drama going on. The outcome was predictable. And finally, if you want to compare it to past Iowa caucuses, usually there's a Democratic contest and a Republican contest. And so you got two, you know, unless there's an incumbent president, which would cancel one of them. But that's what's happened. No Iowa caucus for the Democrats. The first Democratic contest will be South Carolina by order of Joe Biden and the DNC. Iowa will just do mail-in because it screwed up last time so badly. Now, I did a piece for uh, Brett Barron's special report last night about the media coverage of Iowa. Made a lot of different points. But the one thing I couldn't fathom was the way not only did MSNBC refuse, just refuse to carry even one second of Trump's victory speech. Think about it. The Iowa caucus is the first contest. The former president wins big, and it's like, nope, we're not taking it. And Rachel Maddow kind of got on our high horse and said, there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things, and that is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. So she's playing to her base, kind of boasting about the fact that they're not taking it, He hadn't even started to talk yet, so if there were going to be any untrue things, they hadn't been said. And, I I mean, as I, I, I literally tagged my piece with this, will MSNBC continue to refuse to carry Trump's speeches? Remember, this is pure politics now. I'm not talking about should you cover the trial or any of that, or should you cover his remarks outside the courthouse. This is the winner of the Iowa caucuses. Okay, are they going to do that all season, including if he wraps up the nomination? Not going to take the speech then? And what if he gets back in the White House? Are they just going to say we're not covering any presidential speeches because we think this president is a liar? On CNN, Jake Tapper um uh, dumped out when Donald Trump started talking about illegal migrants. Millions and millions are mounting an invasion of our country. Uh, Some coming from mental institutions. I mean, things he said before, not some of the more harsh attacks echoing certain language. So Tapper said, you know, I'm going to talk over him now, and here he is attacking immigrants. But to his credit, Jake Tapper said, historically strong showing for Trump. If these numbers hold, the biggest victory for a non-incoming president in the modern era for this contest. So I obviously took vigorous exception to that on special report. And here's Donald Trump last night saying, NBC and CNN refused to air my victory speech. I think of it because they are crooked, they're dishonest, and frankly, they should have their licenses or whatever they have taken away. Well, that's bringing back the old thread about, remember when he said to uh, Brett and Martha that uh, he'd be too busy for retribution? Doesn't sound like it here. 
And I agree with him on the substance. But now you're talking about regulatory action. Now I have to point out that CNN as a cable news network is not regulated by the FCC. There's no license to take away. NBC, you could make an argument. So what, Trump is going to, if the coverage is unfavorable, they don't cover uh, his speeches, uh, President Trump would order the Federal Communications Commission to essentially try to take NBC off the air. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Interestingly, CBS's Tony DeCopel yesterday morning criticized the early call which is something that Ron DeSantis said was election interference. He's actually on tape saying this because people hadn't voted. And Tony DeCoppel said, I have to point something out. The decision by the AP, many news organizations, including CBS, to project a win for Donald Trump just 30 minutes into the night while some people were still caucusing, it did not go well. I have to say there's got to be a better way to do it than that. The thing is, unlike in a primary where people can just show up to vote if the polls are still open and the networks often try to avoid um, calling it too early, although the projection was correct. I mean, Trump won over DeSantis by 30 points. But with a caucus... You're supposed to get together at 7. That was central time. Um, the process of the speeches and the voting and the revoting starts about 7.20, certainly by 7.30. So, and then it's a three-hour process and you're not supposed to walk out. So if you weren't there and seated by about 7.20, you know, you didn't get in. So it isn't like, there were all these other people who could say, well, I was going to vote, but why bother? Because Trump has this thing won. Anyway, even though Ron DeSantis took uh, 21% of Iowa caucus voters, Wall Street Journal editorial says that was a dis- disappointing outcome after he invested so much time and money in the state, visiting all 99 counties says uh, he earned some evangelical support for Florida's six-week ban on abortion. Uh, however, DeSantis waffled on aid to Ukraine to appeal to Trump voters that made him look inconstant. If he, DeSantis faces no clear path to the nomination, says the Wall Street Journal. If he believes, as he says, that Trump can't win in November, he should quit the race and give Haley a chance to take on Trump one-on-one. Here's an interesting take in the Times. There was a time not so long ago when those wearied and horrified by the presidency of Donald Trump could almost convince himself the man was gone. He was ostensibly a movement leader in exile, summering, or simmering, I should say, in Florida. His flailing election lies confided, confined to private monologues and modest platforms. He was no longer appearing 
on Fox News. His screeds on Truth Social did not land with the force of their tweeted predecessors. Even as a declared presidential candidate for the past 14 months, Trump often ceded the campaign trail to his rivals. But with his landslide victory in Iowa, codifying his double-fisted hold on wide swaths of the Republican electorate, two conclusions were inescapable. Trump is back. Who was it that said, I'll be back? (laughs) Trump is back as the dominant figure in American political life, destined again to be ubiquitous. His entwined legal and electoral dramas set to shadow the nation's consequential year. He also never actually left. After a White House term that often consumed the national psyche hour by hour, stirring his supporters, panicking his critics with each wayward post and norm-busting impulse, culminating in January 6th, some Trump-fatigued members of both parties and the mob on January 6th, some Trump-fatigued members of both parties seemed at times to be wishing him away as if media oxygen alone had sustained him for the last eight years. Well, that was then, this is now. Here's uh, Washington Post columnist Karen Tumulty. Never really any suspense about what the outcome would be in Iowa. And the result's so lopsided that it does appear to augur what lies ahead in a Republican race that's likely to be wrapped up early. She says Donald Trump's coronation is inevitable. Now, there's supposed to be a New Hampshire debate Saturday night in Manchester, sponsored by ABC, between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Well, ABC has canceled that debate after Haley said she's not showing up. She says she only will uh, debate Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Now, it's smart on her part for this reason. She's a huge leader of DeSantis in New Hampshire. So the last debate was two hours of them calling each other liars. Why even go through that? Why detour into that when she's got a shot at somewhere between doing very well and possibly even tying or edging the former president? And here's something I talked about all of last week because Trump sandwiched two different courthouse appearances uh, in between his Iowa campaigning and, of course, the uh, Fox town hall in Iowa with Trump that uh, totally outrated the uh, CNN debate with Haley and DeSantis. Yesterday, he showed up in New York at the E. Jean Carroll trial. You'll remember her as the writer who won her first defamation case against Trump by saying he sexually assaulted her in the 90s in a Manhattan department store and then defamed her by calling her a liar, never met her, never heard of her, she's not my type. Um, And E. Jean Carroll won millions of dollars in damages on that earlier trial. Well, now she sued him again Trump can't argue, though he vociferously denies, you know, ever insulting her, but he's continued to call her a liar and never met her and all that. So by late morning yesterday, the networks, the cable news networks were either tired of the Trump victory or resentful of the Trump victory, and they started covering 
the E. Jean Carroll case. All, all he did was sit through um, jury selection, but he's expected back today. So again, in between campaigning, Trump uses these courthouse stops as campaign stops. And it's back to that. Clearly delivered because, again, he didn't have to be there. There's no requirement for Trump to show up at this thing. All right, let's throw in Ross Douthat in the New York Times. Moderate conservative, not a Trump fan. Donald Trump's victory in the Iowa caucuses was resounding enough to make the race for the Republican nomination look essentially finished from the start. But it wasn't resounding enough to remove the sense that it could have been otherwise. Trump is essentially running an incumbent's campaign, presenting himself as the default leader of the party, declining to debate. Remember that? When everyone said that would come back to bite him, it turned out to be a smart move politically. Ross recalls, you know, Eugene McCarthy getting 42% as a protest candidate in the New Hampshire primary in 68, forcing LBJ out of the race. And how Ted Kennedy winning 31% in Iowa, 37% in New Hampshire in 1980, um hurt Jimmy Carter, and he lost the presidency. Pat Buchanan's 38% against George H.W. Bush in New Hampshire in 92 was regarded as a political earthquake. I remember Buchanan holding up the Manchester Union leader, even though the elder Bush went on to win easily. The nomination, that is. But not the general election. Combine the Iowa vote for DeSantis with the vote for Haley. And you still have a total as impressive as those past anti-incumbent showings. But what's absurd is that it's come to this again, says Douthat. There are real few areas of genuine policy disagreement, most notably over Ukraine. And DeSantis wasn't offering anything like the free-spending, almost liberal promises that Trump made back in 16. His squabble with Haley over the Social Security retirement age, which she says wouldn't affect, by the way, only affect people in their 20s now, so a long time to make the switch, not exactly a grand ideological banner. But you should also blame Team Haley not her voters so much as the big donors who sustained her and the right-of-center media figures who have spent the past few months boosting her for going all in on a candidate who clearly, clearly has less of a chance of winning a head-to-head battle with Trump than even the disappointing version of DeSantis. All right, story number two, I mentioned the E. Jean Carroll trial, just to clarify on this. It's going to be very brief. The jury will be asked only to determine whether damages should be awarded for defamatory comments Trump made in 2019 while he was in office. Trump left, went to New Hampshire, and supposed to come back today. Today is the day that E. Jean is supposed to testify. She's already gotten her $5 million. And she has said this is not about the money. She wants him to stop saying... He's a, she's a liar. She's mentally ill. And by the way, speaking of women testifying, that Alvin Bragg case in Manhattan, 
Stormy Daniels, I saw on TV yesterday, saying, oh, of course I'm going to testify. Oh, that might get a little media attention, even though I think it's a blatantly partisan, lousy case that never should have been brought. Certainly not as a felony case. We'll just to update you on that. Number three, American forces carrying out another strike against the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen, bombing a radar facility there. That was the second military action against the Houthis. And I think uh, it came over the weekend. I think there's may have been one more since then. Spokesman John Kirby saying the U.S. not interested in a war with Yemen. But President Biden saying just before the weekend that the U.S. would strike Yemen again if the Houthi rebel group did not relent in its attacks on shipping. Meanwhile, the Israelis have discovered one tunnel in Gaza that was wide enough for a top Hamas official to drive a car inside, another stretch nearly three football fields long, hidden beneath a hospital. What have I been telling you? More and more evidence. Under the house of a senior Hamas commander, Israeli military found a spiral staircase leading to a a tunnel approximately seven stories deep. The Israeli military making this public, video and photographs, now believes that these tunnels, bigger and more sophisticated than even the IDF had imagined, are run as long as 450 miles. Pretty amazing when you, when you consider that the Gaza Strip, at its longest point, is only 25 miles. 5,700 separate shafts leading to the tunnels. The previous F, uh, estimate was 250 miles, so almost double that. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number four, the Baltimore Sun, largest newspaper in Maryland, has been acquired by a guy named David Smith. He's the executive chairman of Sinclair Broadcasting, family-controlled TV station outside Baltimore. That's the headquarters. Sinclair is a network of stations. It was previously run by this hedge fund, Alden Global Capital, which has bought up a lot of newspapers and then cut costs and slashed staff and made them a shadow of them, their former selves. So David Smith telling The Sun he bought it because of its focus on local news. Now Sinclair defends its uh, independence and objectivity, but has, according to the Washington Post, a competitor, uh, a distinctive conservative flavor. So... Sinclair is saying that Smith acquired the paper with his own money, his personal assets. Company's not involved. However, Smith has been a major donor to conservative causes through his family foundation. The Post previously reported about the uniformity of Sinclair's coverage and its pandemic reporting that was sort of on Trump's side during the worst uh, outbreak of the pandemic. And Smith's partner, 
he tells the son, is Armstrong Williams, conservative commentator. He's a partner, African-American. And Smith has also criticized the mainstream media for not covering certain issues in his area. And we'll see what happens to what was once a great newspaper, the Baltimore Sun. And finally, number five. There has been a lot of chatter. I talked about this a little bit last week when for the first time in the history of the National Football League, a playoff game, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Miami Dolphins, was exclusively carried by a streaming service, namely Peacock. Peacock spent $110 million paying NBC Sports for the rights to the game. And then the important thing here was it wasn't free. Football fans across America are used to turning on the TV and watching the games that are carried, especially in the playoffs. Now, Peacock didn't expect to make money on this. I mean, $110 million for one game. Because fans if they were interested enough, had to pay six bucks to watch the game. Six bucks to join Peacock. You could cancel the service right after the game. At least you got to see the game. Or Peacock hoping that you would um, poke around, look at some of their offerings and movies, and maybe that would get the low-rated Peacock on the digital map. So to my amazement, 23 million people watched that playoff game. A whole lot of them on Peacock. Most of them on Peacock because it wasn't available on broadcast TV. In fact, this one game between KC and Miami drove the internet to its largest U.S. usage ever on a single day, says Axios, consuming 30% of internet traffic during the game. So of all the people who are online during that playoff game, 3 out of 10 were paying money and watching the football game. It tells you something about the grip that football, especially playoff football, has on America. It's not that people can't afford the six bucks. I think it was kind of like the principle. Why should I have to pay? Well, I think the gamble paid off, which I'm not that happy about because that means other streaming services may try this next time. And, you know, regular season games, I don't care that much. When you're talking about the playoffs, you're tampering with this unbelievably successful formula for television and radio and et cetera. I love streaming, but if people who don't have internet access are just going to be shut out of numerous NFL playoff games, I don't think that's a formula that helps the league. If I were truly interested in the game, I would have, of course, spent the six bucks. But on the other hand, I had a lot going on that day, uh, rewriting Media Buzz for the umpteenth time.
So thank you so much for spending your valuable minutes with me today. I never take it for granted. I hope you have a great day. Back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.